Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. And we are live with the Standing Room Spartans podcast. Surprise, it's Wednesday. Uh, we're changing up the schedule here a little bit. Uh, we'll, we'll get into that in a second. But your host, Kevin Parker, your co-host, Scott Martin, here as always. Follow the show on Twitter. Uh, the links are in the bio. Just click on that. I, I don't need to bother you with that. Website, standingroomspartans.com. Uh, we are here. It is Wednesday morning. Uh, we're, we're changing up the schedule a little bit. As always, we are presented by the Pigskin Podcast Network. Uh, we were doing Monday, Thursday, Friday, because last season we did Mondays and Thursdays, and it just kind of worked out pretty well. Uh, with the addition of the Picks Podcast, we're recording these on Wednesday morning anyway, so we figured why not just put it out there on Wednesday. So if you're surprised to see us in the feed, this will be the normal schedule moving forward, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday shows. Uh, but yeah, we got a big game to preview here, one that we we certainly had circled on the schedule before the season started, and one that has gotten a bit more interesting for, for more ways than one uh, since kickoff against Northwestern a couple weeks ago. So uh, we got Miami coming up here on Saturday. It's a noon kick in Miami Gardens, I believe, is technically where the stadium is. Uh, Scott, it's again Wednesday morning as we are recording and publishing this. So I would be shocked if we missed any news. Uh, but how are we doing today? Doing good. Been looking forward to this week for a very long time. Um, I was... Well, I would say I was hoping Miami would look stronger, but I'm not sure because now it looks like uh, maybe we've got a pretty good shot in this one. We'll get into that. But um, yeah, I'm psyched. This is a great game to look forward to. It's a great measuring stick test. We'll get into all that. But uh, yeah, and excited to be out here on a Wednesday. If you're if you're still a Thursday person, you know, it's not going anywhere. You don't have to listen to still it listen on Wednesday. Thursday, I guess. So yeah, you know, do what you, do what works for you. But yeah, stoked to uh, to get into this one. Luna is really excited. I don't know if you can hear her barking in the background, but she is fired up for this one. Um, it's the first trip Michigan State makes to Miami since the 80s. I think it was like 1982. I saw something like that. Um, so if you are making the trip down there, I saw some people on Twitter that are uh, making the road trip or, or booked flights, or maybe you're already in the Miami area. Uh, this should be a fun one. Uh, it's being played on ABC, a national broadcast. It's it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, something I, I it just kind of crossed my mind. I was actually listening to a national podcast that was talking about something completely different. I was like, you know, this is low key, nice little recruiting opportunity for Mel Tucker, somebody that you know with the mantra recruit every day, uh, playing a national broadcasted game in South Florida in probably the hottest recruiting bed in the country, uh, both literally and metaphorically. It's uh, it's a nice opportunity. If you go down there, you show out, you put up 40 points on the board. Uh, maybe some of these South Florida high school athletes that are watching this game, a little idea in their head, you know, that Michigan state program, that's, that's real interesting up there. Uh, we've gotten a couple kids out of South Florida before, but again, that's that's the hottest recruiting bed in the country right now. So go, being a, being able to go down there, national TV, 
Uh, it's an interesting opportunity, but we'll mostly focus on the on-field stuff here today. Uh, really, really big opportunity on our hands this week. I was just kind of looking at the schedule and we mentioned this uh, on the last podcast, I think just a little bit. And the way that this schedule sets up and, and we talked about it, even just previewing the season, if we go down there and win this game, the momentum implications here are very, very interesting of what this team could be going in five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 games into this season. Uh, it becomes really interesting if you come out of there with a win. Yeah, um, it's not something that we really were kind of contemplating at the beginning of the year. I think we looked at this first three game stretch, Northwestern, um, Youngstown State and Miami. And I mean, I think most folks were saying if we can if we can grab two of those three, you know, that's an unexpectedly good start. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously we're two and oh now and the pressure around this one's probably a bit less for us than it is for Miami. Certainly Um, they, they snuck out a win last week, which I think honestly for us was probably, probably a good thing. I've been back Uh, and forth on that really, but yeah. uh, Yeah. I was watching that game and it was coming down to the wire and, you know, they were going back and forth in the fourth quarter with field goals and stuff. And I was sitting there and I was like, do I, do I want uh, Miami to be so desperate for our Michigan state game to get that first win that they're just coming out with like, you know, their mouth frothing. And I'm like, ah, I mean, it could go either way, right. They, they have a little bit of confidence now because they've gotten that first win off their back, but at the same time, you know, they don't have that, you know, our world is falling and we need a win somewhere desperation. Um, I don't know. Like you said, it could go either way, but um, one and one Miami team playing at home, playing in their the comforts of their humid humidity blanket. Um, and, uh, yeah, it should be a phenomenal game. So, um, before we get into Miami and our matchups and everything, we do have a couple kind of newsworthy items coming out of Mel Tucker's press conference, mostly just around injuries. So it sounds like tank Brown and Eli Collins are 99% not going to be available um, I think take Brown was the one that he actually said was not going to be playing. So that injury is probably a bit more serious than we would have hoped. Eli Collins, he was a bit more vague, but it didn't sound good. Yeah. And actually same thing with Anthony Rousseau, hopefully Peyton Thorne is healthy and ready to go for the full 60 minutes. But um, he also said Anthony Rousseau was, would be ready when he's ready. So read into that, however you will. Um, couple pieces of good news on our defensive end front. Um, Drew Beasley and Drew Jordan sounds like he said they're prepping and should be ready to go. So that'll be great to have uh, going up against Derek King. They'll obviously need a, a solid rotation, both in the heat and against an athlete like him to keep him contained. So hopefully they stay on the right track and we have that full rotation other than tank Brown at the defensive end spot. So um yeah. Outside of that, I think that's all the injury news, right, Kevin? I didn't miss anything. Yep. Yep. And I, I put it out on Twitter as well. Like I think the impact of these defensive ends going against them, uh, De'Ara King and, you know, we'll get into all the matchups, but that is huge to have as many healthy bodies that you can rotate in, keep them fresh because yeah, the, what he can do with his legs, it's going to tire out these defensive linemen it's going to to force them to stay extremely disciplined and especially a couple veteran guys, a couple fifth year guys like Beasley and Jordan. Um, Jordan, a guy from Duke who who got a chance to to see some of these guys uh, from Miami. I think his experience is going to be really helpful. But uh, yeah, I, I think the impact can't be overstated uh, getting those experienced defensive end backs, especially for this matchup. Yeah, so uh, that's the squad we should be rolling to Miami with. Obviously, it will be a a smaller squad, a traveling squad, but we should have uh, all the familiar faces on the field uh, other than the couple we mentioned. So before we get into our matchup, a little bit about kind of Miami and how their season's gone. If you haven't been paying attention, they opened against Alabama. I think it was in uh, Atlanta. 
Yep. And they, well, it went kind of how you'd expect against Alabama, kind of how it went for us in the college football playoff. Um, 44 to 13. I watched the first half. Um, couldn't really bear to watch the second half. I think it was already somewhere around 40 to nothing uh, at halftime. And they just, it was just too much. I mean, Miami, there were holes on their team pretty much outmatched at every, you know, position on the field. And Derek King struggled to be effective. Um, I mean, there wasn't really that much to say other than Alabama won every phase of the game and it wasn't close. Um, so it's always hard to draw something from, you know, a big Alabama blowout. But Kevin, anything specific stick out to you uh, watching through that one? Not really. I mean, you, you really try not to take away anything from getting blown out by Alabama in week one because everybody else does it. Um, there was a USC team a few years back that lost, I think, 51-14 or something to Bama in week one, and then they ended up coming out and going like 10-2. and two. So it, it really is not a great measuring stick. You know, it's funny. I was kind of looking back uh, through a couple weeks and said, okay, Miami, where are they at? In a vacuum, I think this is about exactly where we expected Miami to be, or at least I did. A week one matchup against Alabama that you knew they were going to lose, and they lost big, probably as expected by most people. And then a really tough matchup against Appalachian State, which I I picked as something that, yeah, they're probably going to pull it out, but it's going to be close because Appalachian State's a good team. So in a vacuum, you know, Miami is about exactly what we thought they were, right? And that's that, who was the coach who had that? They are who we thought they were. Miami is who we thought they were. But it is, I try not to look too deep into it again, but it hasn't looked the way I thought it would look, right? The result is about it as I expected it to be, but just kind of from the eye test, it, it looks a little bit worse than I expected, I guess. So again, that you read into that what you will, everybody's going to have their different perspective of what a close win turns out to be. Is it a good close win? Is it a bad close win? You know, you can take that for what it's worth, but uh, I, I do think that while the results is about what we thought the, the, the performance on the field is, is a little bit less than I thought we, the, it would be. So when you look at the chance to go on the road and get an upset win, it's a little bit more on the table than I thought it would be a couple weeks ago. Yeah. So here's what kind of concerns me is that through two games, Miami hasn't looked as effective as we thought they've shown, like you said, that they can do all the things that we thought they could. Derek King's still a dynamic playmaker. They still have athletes, particularly at wide receiver who can make plays their defense flies around and and plays with a lot of speed and that, you know, an edge, that typical Miami edge. Um, But they just haven't been able to do it consistently yet. Um, And it, we were texting yesterday and it it feels like, especially with Derek King's performances that they're kind of just a time bomb kind of waiting to put a couple, you know, pieces in the right place and, and have it come together. And I mean, obviously we'll see if, if that's the case or if they're really just, you know, aren't that good this year. But my concern is that, you know, Michigan State or one of these games, they're going to put it together. They're going to find their, their you know, flow and, uh, and it's going to be ugly. Um, but that's speculation. What we do know is that they have struggled to be consistent this year. Derek King, um, he's still made plays. And, and in my notes from the couple games that I've watched, it's he's making plays. The problem is, when they don't have a big chunk play, they can't really move the ball so far. And that's a key for this game, I think, for Michigan State is, is slowing down those big plays. We saw against Northwestern that our secondary would give up a couple of those big ones uh, that you don't want to give up. And they have the athletes in the receiving core to do that, to put that pressure on you. Um, and if you get lost and you give De'Eric King too much space, he can do the same thing on the ground. He had like a 30-yard run against Appalachian State that led to a score as well. Um, this offense only has three scoring drives, the three touchdown drives, I should say this year. One of them was six yards because there was a either a blocked punt or a fumbled snap or something. So we'll take that one out. This offense has really only gone down the field uh, twice 
in the last, in the first two games, both 75 yards and they both had 30 plus yard plays in the middle of the drive. So they have not taken the ball and just walked it down the field methodically yet. So again, if you can limit those big plays, if you can keep it within 20 yard gains, um, and I know Scotty Hazleton's defense likes to do this is Ben not break kind of mentality. Miami has been struggling to make enough plays in a row to find the end zone. They've gotten field goals, but you can live with field goals. Um, and I think that's a key. And like I said, we saw it against Northwestern. We gave up a few of those bigger plays. And that's something that we, we highlighted. Mel Tucker highlighted. Everybody was talking about after that game was, hey, we looked really good, but this isn't the best offense in the country. And they gashed us a few times. So I think that's my first key is keep everything in front of you. Don't let those receivers get behind that cover three defense and, uh, and, and rally to, to the tackle if they do you know, catch the ball. Yeah, it's felt like I want to go back a little bit just to you were talking about the offense like this Alabama playing Alabama is going to skew numbers, right? Especially when you only have a two game sample size. But the reality right now is that they're scoring 19 points a game on 328 yards of offense. Michigan State in 2020, we had 330 yards of offense. So through a couple games, I mean, their offense is pretty equivalent you know we scored a, i think 18 points a game they're pretty damn equivalent to where we were last year so just just to give you an idea of like you know yeah the numbers say they're they're really not that great the numbers are really bad here and and again like look alabama is going to skew some numbers with a two game sample size i get that but even in garbage time they couldn't find anything against bama uh, and then you go up against Appalachian State, and I give them a ton of credit for bouncing back. You know, Alabama's one of those, there's kind of this old adage about Alabama can beat you twice because they'll go out and beat you on the field, and then you're so demoralized from getting annihilated by Alabama that you're just not prepared for that next game, and you go out there and lose week two, right? To Alabama or to Miami's credit, they didn't get beat twice by Alabama. They came back against uh, an, an App State team that's always going to be tough, uh, and they won the game. But the reality is, you know, we can sit here and say, wow, they beat a good App State team, and App State is a good, good group of five team. They're still a group of five team. So, I, you know, I, I do want to give them credit for going out there and winning that game, especially given what happened to them the week before. But, you know, they didn't go out there and beat Wisconsin. They didn't go out there and beat Clemson, right? Granted, neither have we. And that's where this matchup gets really interesting is, is the sample size through two weeks for these teams are extremely different. Uh, Miami's played two tough teams. We've played maybe one, depending on how Northwestern actually turns out this year. We're still not sure. Uh, so there's a lot of interesting dynamics that come into it. But, you know, to, to get into kind of one of my keys or one of my matchups that I'm looking at is just Derek King. This guy is absolutely one of the most electrifying playmakers that we've had in college football since 2016 for Houston. Going back, I mean, he has had over it just about 8,000 yards passing and a little over 2,000 yards rushing in his career. He has had... What are we looking at? Uh, over a hundred career touchdowns. And this dude is a playmaker. And you mentioned the kind of ticking time bomb that could be Miami. I just look at it from a perspective of Derek King, man. This is a guy that you hate playing against as a fan. These are the most frustrating players to play against because your coverage team did everything they should. They locked him up. Uh, they locked up their wide receivers, the defensive ends, man, they did their job. They stayed in their lane. They stayed in their rush lane. They didn't let him get outside the pocket. They forced him inside, but it still doesn't matter. He, he slips the, you know, the defensive tackle just gets a little too much penetration. And then he slips through the a gap and makes a linebacker misses and, and gets a first down off of a third and 14, right? That's the kind of thing that he does. And it's so incredibly frustrating because 11 guys did their job on defense 
on a third and long and he still makes a play. So we're going to have to live with that a couple times. It's going to happen. I I'm just telling you all now, no matter how much discipline these defensive ends play with, no matter how much discipline these defensive tackles play with, no matter how good the coverage is, the guy's just going to go out there. He's going to make a couple plays. It's just a matter of what you mentioned is, is limiting the big explosive plays. And that's something that, you know, we've struggled with here for a couple of weeks. So that's a matchup that I think Miami could take advantage of is they've got a couple playmakers on the outside. You know, I was listening to a couple Miami podcasts and, and we got some good information from the orange bowl boys. Uh, if you want to check it out, they're going to have a preview of this game as well. So if you're curious on kind of a Miami perspective of previewing this game, um, go check out the orange bowl boys, but yeah, they, they were even telling us a little bit too, like they got a couple playmakers on the outside and I was listening to them detail it. They're not really doing much in the middle of the field. They're running a lot outside the numbers out on the perimeter. And that's kind of where we've been beat through a couple of weeks. So where they were really frustrated and saying, Let, let's get some more crossing routes. Let's do some more over the middle. So it, it limits what Derek King is, is being forced to do. Well, against Michigan State, what they're doing on, on passing outside the numbers and, and trying to stretch the field vertically outside, you know, we saw Ronald Williams get beat a couple times by, was it Stefan Robinson on Northwestern? Um, you're looking at an, another level of athlete here. Charleston Rambo comes over from Oklahoma. Great football name, but is a really solid receiver. Uh, Keyshawn Smith had a couple big plays in that App State game. He had this diving over-the-shoulder catch. They got some playmakers on the outside that haven't really been taken advantage of yet. Xavier Restrepo is another receiver. He's got 18 yards a catch. So if they are going to stick to that vertical passing game outside near the sideline, that's something we've shown can be exploitable on this Michigan State defense. So keep an eye out for that. De'Ara King's going to scramble around. He's going to make a couple plays just third and long. He's going to run and get that first down. And then there will be a couple deep shots down the field. Can Ronald Williams recover from what he did week one? Can Chester Kimbrough step up? Can Kalon Gervin keep doing his thing out there? These guys being able to stay in front and not allow that big 40, 50, 60 play shock play on the outside, especially at, on the road at Miami, that's going to be huge, huge, huge in this matchup. Yeah, I mean, that was my first key to the game, just limit the big plays. Uh, these receivers – they do have a few drops. They've kind of had a tough start, honestly, to the to the season, even when the balls have been thrown well. And that's another reason I'm, you know, kind of hesitant to uh, to say this offense isn't good because they've shown Derek King can make the throws and these receivers, you know, maybe they're just getting their hands early in the season. They're getting their hands back and it, those come back and all of a sudden that, you know, things start to loosen up for them. But uh, yeah, I mean, those, those corners are going to have their work cut out for them um, on the outside. I think well, even Gervin gave up a big play yep. against Northwestern. So both sides, they're going to have to uh, buckle down and, and make some plays. Um, and uh, yeah, as far as what to look for on Miami's, let's start on the offensive side. We mentioned Derek King and the wide receivers, just a little bit about kind of how they play in their scheme. They actually, their base set is pretty similar to what we're seeing from Michigan State these days. Uh, they like to have three wide receivers on the field at all times, and they'll typically have a running back and a tight end that they use similar to how Jay Johnson does. So he'll line up in line. He'll line up as a wide receiver uh, in the slot. He will also line up as an H back sometimes in the backfield. So uh, some similarities there. Uh, they actually, they run quite a bit of empty sets. A lot of times they'll have four receivers on the same side of the field, which is pretty rare these days. You don't see that too often anymore, um, but it should look pretty familiar. They definitely like to spread the field. Um, so expect, you know, obviously we play a nickel defense now, expect that nickel to be in coverage most of the day, um, which is going to put a lot of stress on our linebackers to contain Derek King. You mentioned about the defensive line, trying to keep him in the pocket when he gets out of the pocket, are we going to have a spy on him every play? Um, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's a, an assignment for Quiveris Crouch that can kind of simplify the game for him. We've mentioned how athletic he is. Can he just kind of be the guy who's, you know, you put him out there in kind of a, a center zone right around the, 
first down sticks and you just say wherever deer goes you shadow him and if you see a chance you know you get up there and make the play um and we've we've kind of talked about him maybe struggling a little bit to to adjust to this new scheme and everything and that could be a really simplified role of just hey you are incredibly athletic you are a sure tackler that's something we've seen through a couple weeks of him he's not somebody who's gonna who's gonna go in there out of control and and miss a tackle, just go out there and spy. That's, that's your job this week. And and I think he could do a great job of that. And obviously we're oversimplifying this. It's not going to be, Hey, every play that's your job. But I think for large portions of this game, especially like we said on those third and longs, that's going to be his job. And I, I, I think he can do a great job of that. Yeah. So we'll see how they, how they, plan on playing I think that makes sense though especially with Cal Halliday showing he is through two weeks one of the better coverage linebackers in the country uh we'll see if that holds up throughout the whole season but certainly uh change in dynamic from the guys we had on the field last year um and yeah so this offense they haven't done a whole lot on the ground I'm interested to see how they try to attack us on the ground they have 175 rushing yards through two games and a couple scores um, a lot of that was Derek King scrambling he's got 80 yards and they don't call a whole lot of called runs for him. So their running backs only have about a hundred yards, uh, through two games. So we'll see. Um, I don't know if they've gone up against a four, two defense yet. Bama typically keeps a four, uh, three and, uh, Appalachian state likes to keep the box pretty stacked as well. So, um, run game is kind of a question mark, but. And something with the running game, too, is last week against Appalachian State, they lost their backup running back, Donald Chaney, to an injury. He's definitely going to be out possibly this season, but definitely for this game. And their third string running back is still serving a suspension from the offseason. Uh, this is some some intel that I've gathered. So Cameron Harris is their lead guy. He's been their lead guy for a couple of years. He's a solid player, nothing I think really special, but a solid running back. But then behind him, you're looking at two true freshmen. So that's going to be really interesting. If, you know, I'm sure these guys are going to get carries. Um, There could be some freshman mistakes, uh, but you know, on the other side too, we don't really have film on these guys. We don't know a whole lot about them. So um, there, there will be a couple freshmen in there at running back just due to injuries and suspensions. So that's something to keep an eye on as well. They do a lot of that kind of, zone read stuff with the Eric King. It's not exactly like you said, like a, a scheduled planned run for King, but you know, it's, it's a little bit of an option play there, but they, you know, this is another thing in listening to the Miami people is that they, a lot of the fans are really frustrated with their kind of lack of creativity with using King and using these running backs and, and stretching out plays to the outside and, it's a lot of just kind of running up the middle and something, again, there are some parallels between Michigan state the last couple of years and, and Miami. So keep an eye on that. If they start stretching it out wider, that's something they haven't really done a lot of. So uh, what we're going to see on film is a lot of inside run. And we have been very good at defending that. We got these big old defensive tackles that, that have been making plays hunt Slade has been awesome. Um, so if they're going to continue testing that inside run defense, I think we're well equipped, equipped to stop that. Um, if they start stretching this out to the outside, especially with De'Ara King, I think that could test us a little bit. Uh, we've got some good tackling DBs. Uh, you know, Kalon Gervin has always been a sure tackler. Ronald Williams is physical. If Chuck Brantley's out there, we know he's physical. Again, we, we need to keep him under control a little bit. Uh, but Dowell, Snow, these guys could step up and, and fill in the run game as well. So, yeah, keep an eye on that for sure. So before we move to their defense and how our offense lines up to it, Kevin, if you are their offensive coordinator, you've got De'Eric King at your fingertips and the rest of them, How? what's your game plan? Yeah, I mean, when you have a guy like that, it it stresses out defensive coordinators just by itself, right? And Rhett Lashley, their offensive coordinator, he's a guy who he was one of those kind of whiz kid offensive coordinators. He was coming from SMU. He was putting up a bunch of yards, a bunch of points. They got to Miami and, you know, realized, you know, the step up in defensive competition and everything. I don't think he has necessarily adapted his 
style. One thing uh, just real quick to keep an eye on too, their red zone offense is terrible. Uh, you kind of mentioned it before, uh, but this goes way back when he was at SMU. Uh, I heard the stat that he was 119th in red zone offense. So that spread it out. You mentioned a lot of three, four wide receivers. It works between the twenties and it's really struggled in the red zone. But I think, you know, they're, they have to, if again, if I'm their defensive or their offensive coordinator and really trying to put pressure on you use that QB run game and, and you try to manipulate, you look at like what the Baltimore Ravens do. They manipulate the second level of the defense so well with threatening you, you give a couple designed runs to the quarterback early and that way the linebackers, the safeties, they're constantly thinking about that. And that every time you give the ball to the running back and they carry out that fake, you have one guy committed to King carrying out that fake, if not one more guy that that follows him. So suddenly you have numbers in the box and your offensive linemen are paving the way to, to opening holes. So, you know, if I'm them, I'm, I'm giving a couple early design QB runs to Derek King and that way it just constantly gives you something to think about. It's not only, uh, well, we got to worry about this guy scrambling. It's every time they run the ball, it could be King or it could be the running back. And I don't think they've done a, enough of that yet. Um, so that's something. And again, they, they, they haven't really stretched the run plays out outside the tackles. Uh, that's something that, that they've, the fan base has been criticizing. So I'd, I'd keep an eye on that, but um, yeah, I, I, I think we're going to have a little bit of a, a good matchup as long as our corners can stay true to their man. As long as those corners aren't getting beat deep, I think we got some good matchups, but if these guys are beating our corners on the outside, it could be a long day. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head. So um, let's talk about how we're going to com- combat that. I think for the first time in a long time, even if that's the case, I feel like we have an offense that might be able to keep up. I like the um, over in this game. So, yeah, yeah, I think it's 56 and a half right <laughs> I like now. The over. So, um, yeah, we finally have an offense that should be able to move the ball. This, this Miami defense, they have some playmakers out there. My favorite uh, on their roster right now, his name's Nesta Jade Silver. Oh man. Silvera. I'm glad you brought him up. He was a monster against App State. He's a defensive yeah, so lineman. Defensive tackle wears number one, plays a lot of three technique. Um, you'll notice him. (laughs) And yeah, he was in the backfield quite a bit. He only has four tackles on the year, no kind of big sacks, force fumbles, whatever, but uh, just a real disruptor on the inside can really blow up your, um, you know, your running, your blocking schemes in the run game and gets a little bit of pressure in the passing game as well. So he'll be up front and they got a couple safeties that kind of popped off the page as well. Um, Number 21 is there Bubba Bolden is their kind of defensive leader. He unfortunately was um, ejected for targeting. I think it was the Alabama games. It was the Alabama game. So it It was just a a... dumbass play. (laughs) It was was a clear and obvious dude is going down right in front of him. Somebody else was tackling the, the uh, ball carrier. And he kind of just like, like, dove his face right into the guy's head. Like it, he wasn't even moving. He was standing flat foot and he just like threw his face into the guy. So it was exactly, um, if everybody remembers like freshman year of high school football, everybody has that like video VHS tape that has like the disabled former football player. Who's telling you the dangers of, of having your head down when you're tackling. That was the exact play that they show you not to do. So I know we get frustrated by these targeting rules, but they are in theory trying to keep guys safe. Bubba Bolden was not keeping himself safe on that one. That was just a bad tackle, but he is an outstanding player. One of the better safeties in the whole country. Yeah. And another guy that jumped out, Keontra Smith, number four, he plays uh, kind of their nickel hybrid spot. Like we have on our defense, Um, really fast dynamic playmaker, Um, a little undersized. He's at 205. They'll line him up as, you know, as a kind of a four, three outside linebacker, a lot of the time as well, but, um, can cover a lot of ground and they ask him to do a lot of different things. He's just a sophomore, but, um, yeah, he jumped off the film as I was watching it. The other guy too, that, you know, again, this is from the orange bowl boys They they brought up Tyreek Stevenson. He's a defensive back. He's a corner that transferred in from Georgia. 
the word on him is he's, he's a lockdown dude. So, you know, whether he's on Jaden Reed, he's shadowing him or whether he just kind of takes one side of the field away. Uh, that'll be really interesting. If, if he's able to neutralize Jaden Reed, you know, we might have some, you know, Jalen Naylor would have to step up. Uh, Trey Mosley would have to step up, but the word on him is Tyreek Stevenson is, is a legit lockdown number one corner. So that, that brings in an interesting dynamic here. Yeah, that's going to be a really fun matchup to watch. Um, this is going to be the best corner that we've faced um, this season. And just watching Jaden Reed, I'm assuming it'll be Jaden Reed. It may not be, but um, Jaden Reed obviously looks phenomenal this year. He looks like a guy who wants to be an all Big Ten player. And um, obviously he's pushing for, you know, playing time on Sundays someday. So is he that guy? Can he take, you know, a dynamic highly touted corner like Tyreek Stevenson and still make plays throughout the game. So keep an eye there. We're not totally doomed. If he can't get around him, if he can't make plays, you know, we've got, as everyone knows, plenty of playmakers this year, amazingly, and um, we'll have other options, but uh, it'll be a fun matchup to watch. I think, I think Reed has what it takes to be kind of that number one. You have to game plan around me. You have to bring safeties for over the top help um kind of talent but uh, this will be the first big test this year to put that to the test so uh yeah they have some playmakers personally just as a whole as I've watched their film in both games um they miss some assignments sometimes and they're one thing I've noticed and we'll see if this continues given our success on the ground they don't put a lot of guys in the box they'll typically have a six-man box with three down linemen and they play a lot of two stand-up end defense. So you, you essentially get a lot of um, five five line looks. Sometimes it'll be two down linemen with the uh, stand-up ends. Uh, but typically they have six guys in the box. Sometimes they'll bring down a safety or bring in the nickel for a seventh man. I think we'll probably see a little bit more of that against us, just given our success in the run. Um, but if we have those three receivers out there and we're lining up, you know, just – the, the tight end and the running back to cover in the box, they may be forced to spread it out. So I think this gives a great opportunity for our, our offensive line to make another statement against a strong team. I think, especially in those six man boxes, um, it's pretty much going to be hat on hat, you know, make your play and uh, let the running back, whether it's Jordan Simmons or uh, Walker, let them make plays. So I think we're going to have a lot of success on the ground in this game. I think um, the passing is going to be a question mark. They play a lot of defense backs. We mentioned they have some talent in that group, um, but I think we can run the ball. It's something both teams so far have been able to do against Miami. So I think look for us to run it early and often and establish that. And I think the big key for this offense is establish the run early and open up the play action passes down the field. I think with these receivers that we have, that is a perfect model to get them in one-on-one situations downfield and, uh, and put the stress on those defensive backs to make plays. So uh, I think we'll run a lot in the first quarter. If it's working, I think we'll continue to do it throughout the game and, and really try to control this one and keep Derek King off the field as much as we can. Yeah, I I think we have a good matchup with this offense, uh, with our offense. We, I I was looking this up earlier. This is courtesy of Pick 6 Previews on Twitter. We are second in the country in the Power 5 in yards per play right now with 8.6. Our offense has been outstanding, and the Miami defense has given up quite a bit. They're right now, I think, 111th in points against. And last week, when you look at it, Appalachian state just kept gashing them in the run game. Cameron peoples was their main back. He had 95 yards and a touchdown over five and a half yards of carry. And I think that's what you're going to be looking at. You're going to get a heavy dose of Kenneth Walker. You're going to get a heavy dose of Jordan Simmons. Um, you might even see a little bit of Donovan Eaglin. You might even see a little bit of, of Harold Joyner if he's healthy and able, I think we're going to get a heavy dose of this running game. And for good reason, I think if you can constantly go out there, run for five, six, seven yards of carry, like we have been and Miami's shown that they're capable of getting beat in that way. You know, we certainly got the matchup there with our offensive line against their defensive line. Their linebackers have not been great this year. 
Um, they've been exploited time and time again. They're, they're not sure tacklers. They're, they're getting out of position. Uh, the linebacker group is, is definitely the most exploitable on their defense. So I think when, when you look at the combination of, like you said, them not really putting a whole lot of guys in the box um, to be able to stop the run. And then the guys that are in there, the linebackers are really struggling to find the ball and, and make sure tackles and make plays there. We're going to see a lot of the running game and, and rightfully so. So yeah, look for Kenneth Walker, Jordan Simmons. I, th- I think these guys are going to have the chance to have a big game here. Um, and, and that's going to be big. Cause like you said, it, Jaden Reed, you know, let's see it go out there and, and beat a top flight, you know, possible NFL first, second, third round NFL draft pick type of corner. Um, go out there and show it. Uh, Jalen Naylor, Trey Mosley, step up. Um, you know, this is this is an opportunity for you guys to make plays. I'm sure they're, that we're game planning some stuff to to exploit that second corner, that third corner on the roster. So it's it's going to be an interesting matchup. There's a couple things to look out for on that side of the ball, but I think it's a good opportunity to put up some points against you know a high profile team and, and national TV. Yeah, so I think. That's pretty much it for this game. Um, yeah, quick, quick special teams. Um, both special teams have not been great. I think Michigan State, we've been a little bit better, but we had that block punt uh, against Youngstown State. Uh, Miami last week, again, I, I mentioned this earlier. They have a really good punter, but they had a kick blocked, and they also had a kick return touchdown for Appalachian State. So, um, App State was able to take advantage of some special teams. We'll see if, you know, Jaden Reed, a, an electric type of guy in the return game, we'll see if he's able to make a play. Um, it was it was kind of funny, just the last note. The They asked the head coach about that kick return touchdown. He basically blamed the kicker for not having contained there. I'm like, if if it even gets to the point where the kicker has to make a play on the ball, like you've already screwed up. So blaming the kicker as a former kickoff specialist, I was embarrassed by that, but uh, yeah, let's, let's wrap that. You got it. You got one more, more note thing here that I did. I really wanted to hit on. It'll be quick uh, on the defensive side for Miami. They blitz a lot. Uh, the only reason I want to bring this up is because I, we haven't seen a whole lot of that with Peyton Thorne yet. We've seen him do well against a couple blitzes and make a couple plays, but he's going to be blitzed on this week, likely more than he has in the first two weeks. So how does he hold up to that? They'll bring, five, six, seven guys pretty often uh, to put a lot of pressure on it and try to make you make a quick read. So um, expect Thorne to be in those positions um, and have to diagnose things very quickly. I think it's another opportunity for him to to progress. Um, He's shown this year he's been a lot better um, in those situations than he was last year in terms of staying in the pocket, making your reads, trusting your guys to come open before the pressure can get home. but yeah, expect to see a lot of Miami guys trying to get into the backfield, not just their defensive linemen. They'll bring linebackers, they'll bring nickels, they'll bring safeties, um, and they'll show it right off the line. They don't hide it all the time. So um, if we can read those well, it should be good. It should open up, again, one-on-one situations for our wide receivers. If we can't read it well, uh, it could be a tough night. So keep an eye on that. should be exciting one way or another. All right, and we got – uh, an interesting mailbag segment here. I promised that we would do this. I totally forgot about it when we started recording. Um, it's been a crazy morning, but this is actually our hundredth episode of the standing room Spartans podcast. So I promised a mailbag. Uh, we got a hard out here, so, uh, we're going to rapid fire some of these. Uh, if you want us to expand on it more, cause there are some really good questions here, actually. If you want us to expand on it more, just let me know and and remind me. And maybe on the next episode, we'll kind of come back to this. But rapid fire, Scott, like one to two sentences on each of these so we can get through all of them. Uh, First one was from Coach Mix uh, on Twitter at Coach underscore Mix. Uh, In light of D'Antonio's struggles in the final years before his departure, in what would Mel Tucker need to accomplish to meet or surpass his legacy? Oh. All right. Um, multiple Big Ten championships and multiple college football playoff appearances. Okay. Uh, I like that. Yeah, you're going to have to win more than one Big Ten championship for sure. And I think because of Ohio State's current status, I think that would do it. I, I don't, the playoff thing, I don't really care as much about. Go out there and win a couple Big Ten titles. 
Uh, Marshall J93, our guy Marshall, I know it's early, but where does Kenneth Walker III rank among MSU running backs over the last 10 years? I saw this on Twitter and I hated it because it's, it's impossible. <laughs> it's asking um, for way too much hyperbole. Yeah, I mean, he's shown he could be the best running back we've had over the last 10 years. Um, he could be, but I'm not going to say he will be or he is. Uh, I, I That's as far as I'll go. Yeah, technically Le'Veon Bell and Jeremy Langford are still within the last 10 years, which makes this really difficult. I think he's certainly already shown he's better or can be better than everybody else, but I just I can't put myself in the place where he's above either of those two. Uh, SL Brownie, Scott L. Brown, thoughts on not selling out the first game in forever. Student section was packed, but it still kind of irritates me. First of all, Scott, I want to give you a shout out for not being the person who just, oh, the student section doesn't show up for these games. That drives me nuts. Um, so I, I appreciate you giving credit to the student section. I haven't been a student there in like six years, so I don't know why I keep defending them, but that has always driven me crazy. The old people complaining about it, but um, thoughts on not selling out the Youngstown State game. Yeah, it's happening all over the country. People are still kind of getting comfortable going outside, going to big events. I wouldn't read too much into it. Ohio State was apparently, I mean, they filled their stadium, but apparently having trouble uh, filling it. The tickets were going as easy as they've been for a very long time, and that was against the top 12 matchup against Oregon in a home opener. So if they're having trouble, I don't think we should beat ourselves up for having trouble. And I thought the turnout was pretty darn good. It was better than some Mm -hmm. projections. Um, It was probably – somewhere in the 80s to 90 percent full um it's like against 70 a team like, some thousand i mean yeah so against a team like uh youngstown state who's not going to bring a big draw on their own i thought it was a pretty good turnout i wouldn't read too much into it yeah i try to leave the covid kind of stuff out but you know for me i'm comfortable going to a game and and doing all of that i'll be at the nebraska game in a couple weeks uh, but we have to remember there's a lot of people who aren't quite there yet, especially when they're thinking about bringing kids and 70,000 people packed in. So uh, again, Youngstown state as well. I, I was actually pretty impressed by it as well. So I, I won't read too much more into it. Eric West, Eric West 41, my former roommate and Brody and in um, what was the other uh, dorm that we lived in uh, blanking off the top of my head. Shaw. Yeah, there we go. West Shaw. MSU AP rank, assuming a win against Miami. Uh, and then the second part here, which I, I would love to deep dive deeper into this too, was scheduling Miami back in 2010 worth it. Beating number 24 Miami on the road will be tough and would probably only result in a five or so jump uh, spot jump into the top 25. Also in 0910 when we scheduled it, Miami was just average. So did we expect them to improve? Did we expect them to be, you know, kind of a bigger primetime matchup like like it has turned out to be? Um yeah, I think when we scheduled it, you just kind of schedule the program. You don't schedule the program where it's at. You just schedule the name. I think it's a great scheduling opportunity. They have a big brand, a lot of visibility in a, like you said, a recruiting hotbed. Um, so I think it's a good idea. And yes, we will be ranked if we win this game. I have no doubt about that. We're at like 27 right now. Um, they're ranked. Where will we be ranked? Let's say we we go out there and we win by a field goal. I mean, we're not going to be above, or I guess below 20. We're not going to be inside the top 20. I think it'll be in that 21 to 25 range somewhere, probably right in the middle, 22, 23, something like that. Yeah. I was going to say 22 was the number that was sticking out to me, but yeah, I think, Um, this was a good schedule because scheduling thing, because it's, it's an opponent that is beatable, but is still a national brand. And I think that's like the perfect recipe for off season scheduling or non-conference scheduling. You don't want to go out there and play Alabama just because they're a big name, because we know what they can do to you. Uh, but if you go out there and play Miami, it is on national TV on ABC. It is in Miami, which is again, recruiting hotbed. And it's a winnable game. Check, check, check. Perfect non-conference game. I think that this checks all the boxes. Um, it is interesting when you go back and look at where both of these programs were in 2009, 2010, and where they're at now. I think there's actually a lot of parallels between you know where Mel- Mark D'Antonio was in his third season, just starting to kind of show the fruits of his labor. Mel Tucker in his second year, starting to show 
um, some things. So I, there's a lot of interesting ways to dive into that. I wish we had more time to do so. Maybe we will sometime in the non-conference. The last ones were on Facebook here. Um, from James Bannon, there was one question from Facebook. Oh, really quick. Standing room Spartans community on Facebook, search it on Facebook. There's a group, there's some conversation. There's all kinds of stuff. James Bannon on the Facebook group says, will we see a variety of the four two five if Miami is able to run the ball on us? Yes. Um, I think four two five is our defense through and through. I think you'll just see whoever that nickel is playing a little bit more in the box and or uh, Xavier Henderson or one of the safeties playing in the box to support the the run stopping efforts as well. Yeah. And I think, you know, you're able to, to get in a guy like Michael Dowell, who's more of a small linebacker, big safety. I mean, you have guys that can come up and fill the run. Uh, it's not what Miami does best. So I, I expect to see this question come back when we start seeing some of the more, the Michigans of the world and, and some of these bigger big 10 teams that we're going to play. Um, so we apologize for kind of rapid firing those. We wanted to make sure we at least hit on them because I promised that we would again, it's our 100th episode of the show. So that's, that's a, an interesting, and it's, it's fun when you hit these little milestones, I hadn't even thought about it until I posted the last episode and realized it was number 99. So here we are hundred episodes later. Hopefully you have enjoyed us along the way. If you have go ahead and leave us a review on Apple podcast. We really appreciate that. Um, subscribe if you haven't already. And because we are now a 100 episode podcast club member, go ahead and tell your friends about us. You know, we've been pretty consistent through this whole way. You don't have to worry about telling your friend about this great podcast and then having it fold. We're not going to do that to you. We'll be around here. So leave us a review, share the podcast with your friends and family. Like we said, go on the Facebook group. Again, it's standing room Spartans community there's a lot of ways to interact with us, interact with other people who listen to the show. And we appreciate every single one of you for listening along the way to everybody who's going to the game. Enjoy the trip to everybody in general. We will see you Friday in two days here with our picks for this game and our picks for the national slate. Anything else before we get out of here, Scott? No, excited for this one. We'll have our picks on Friday. Um, but I think we got a, a good chance in this one. So Uh, We'll keep it rolling. All right, let's do it. Go green. Go white. Take care, folks.